Welcome, my name is Kareem Kanji and this is episode 65. Today on the podcast, we have a very good friend of mine, Suleiman Ahmed. Many of you might know him as one of the parents behind the No Fly List Kids program. Uh, but today we talk about uh, himself and his career uh, from university to uh, starting Servo Annex. Enjoy the conversation. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. You were born in Halifax, is that right? Ottawa. You were born in Ottawa. Yep. So how long were you in Ottawa for? Two years, and then Dad was with uh, the CBC, and he got moved to Halifax, and then I grew up there. What was he doing in, at the CBC? He started up in HR, then he was in charge of the film department, where they actually had film canisters, you know, Star Trek, Gunsmoke, when they used actual film. Oh, and then he worked his way up into television. Then he ran, uh, he was director of television for Atlantic Canada. And then he got promoted to Toronto. And then he was, when he retired, he was in charge of English radio operations for the network. Oh, no way. Here I am. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and then, so you guys went in Ottawa, born there, soon thereafter went to Halifax. And after we moved to Halifax, Dork Sister was born, not long after. What sister? Dork sister. I see your your sister. I don't follow her. I don't either personally, but I follow Stacy May, the baseball person. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. I've been trying to get her on, but it, once in a while she'll post. She's on the same panel as your sister. Yeah, they're friends. She retweets her, and I've seen some stuff. And uh, what is it? What's her her handle? Footy bed sheets. Footy bed sheets. Yeah, yeah, and so. Because she's Shereen's passion about football or soccer, and then she's a mom, so she cleans a lot of bed sheets. So turns ah. bed sheets. I guess because the handle Shereen Ahmed was taken on Twitter. So, so I, I'm fascinated with your sister story. Yeah. So put in a good word, good word for me. So should I say when I reach out to her, should I say that I know you or yeah. I know Khadija? She likes Khadija more than me, so say you know so. Khadija. <laughs> Are we on right now? So you were on. Okay, great. <laughs> so I will ask. her. <laughs> Great. Um, how how long? Thanks for the warning. I didn't even know we were on. You usually get a light that says you no know, one, you're on air, and then no I could one, be no, saying that you know. No, no one gets warned. That's why I get I get the good. I stuff. I could say like Dave Fleet, Greg Tilson, and Joel Marins are all jerks, right? Yeah, you could say that. I could, <laughs> but that'd be very factual. So how long? How long were you were you in uh, in Halifax for? I grew up there. I'm an East Coast kid. I grew okay. up in. Um, I, I don't Halifax. sense the accent. There you go, there, by East Coast way there. Um, <laughs> no, I, I grew up in Halifax um, all the way through school, and then um, um, Dalhousie. Dalhousie. I did my undergrad, and then I did my master's of computer science there. And then shortly after, um, got married. Uh, my last year in finishing my master's degree, we then moved to Montreal. So you uh, met Kitty at school. Uh, during yeah, during before school, before my uh, before my master's started, we got married just before I started that. And um, because at the time when I was doing my undergrad, I worked as a flight attendant for Air Canada uh, while doing my undergrad. So if you can imagine, uh, everyone works. Like I'm sure you had a job, and your yeah, listeners yeah, had yeah. jobs in college, university, and high school. So if you imagine Monday to Thursday, I'm in class. Mm-hmm. Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm where the winds take me. Hmm. 
And that's how I put myself through school. And then once I was done my master's degree, Air Canada, this was back in 2000. Um, and um, they were like, this internet e-commerce thing might be kind of big. Yeah. Why don't you come here and work on an e-commerce group in Montreal? So we moved to Montreal. Okay. Lived there for two years. So you had to learn French. You need to know French to be a, a flight attendant. Oui, on doit parler français pour travailler avec Air Canada. Where did you learn French? Mom and Dad had the foresight uh, okay. years ago to put me and my sister into French immersion. It was mm. year three, I think, of the program in Halifax back in 1980. Oh, wow. So all of our classes were in French, and uh, to this day, I'm thankful my parents um, had the foresight because we protested it, you know, like, Sure, you get yeah. home late on the bus, well, you know, you miss Barba Papa and those cool shows. <laughs> Remember that program Galaxy? It was like that network, that TV network back in the day before Treehouse. And I remember we'd always get there late. So we we might catch the end of Polka Dot Door, but we wouldn't get to see Barba Papa, the cartoon. And yeah, I'd be yeah. like, why do I have to go on this dumb bus? Sure. When my friends are outside playing hockey and stuff. But, you know, you have to leave early, you come back later. But it's because of my parents that... I learned French and kept in it, and that led me to a lot of my jobs in my career, whether it was at Air Canada or Sears or Apple. So yeah. French was a huge part of it. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, Cosmer's in French immersion. Is he? Yeah, since... So he's smart like his mom, not like his dad, kid, right? He's smart like mom. Yeah. That's right. But he's got dad's temper, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I've never seen that temper. No. you. <laughs> very few people <laughs> see see my temper. And the, and the ones who do don't like it. So, um, remind me to stay on your good side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so at Air Canada, you you went from being a flight attendant and moved over to working on their e-commerce. That's correct. What did you? Were you one of the guys that helped put it together, or on the online side? Uh, the online uh, the site back then was called Destinut. Became part of AirCanada.com. Mm -hmm. We worked with Aeroplan.com, and then um, the opportunity came. Once I finished uh, school, Sears came and approached me. They were part of my thesis work, and I got introduced oh. to uh, to them, and they, they said, we'd like you to come to Toronto. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a increase in responsibility, scope, mm -hmm. more money. Um, sure. You know, when trying to pay off your student loans, you need to your master's. Do, you got to do that. So, and it was great. I had an incredible time working at Sears in Toronto, and then um, I was there for four years. Uh, we're on the travel side, and then I also worked with some of the folks uh, like Quan Trong and Simon Rodriguez on Sears.ca side retail. Um, and then what happened was one day I Sears got acquired by a private equity shop, mm -hmm. and I remember the moment we were sitting in the boardroom. And the new CEO came in, um, and he wasn't really a nice guy. And you could just tell this is going to be a bloodletting. Like they're going to cut jobs and people and, you know, optimize efficiency and mm -hmm. PML improvement, you know, which is a fancy way of saying, you know, my stock options are going to increase. But other people work are going to suffer. Yeah. I, and I could see just in his tone, it was kind of funny because there was a guy in our finance department at the time. Surge, who kept asking him questions, and they kept annoying the guy more and more. And more. Oh, oh yeah, he kept going. And I, it, at first, it was like, "Oh my god, it's uncomfortable." But then I was like, "This is funny," because hmm. this guy's never. This guy, his name was he was former like GE guy from Jack Welch School. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, Dean Rogers is his name, and I don't know if I can say that, but oh well, too late. Um, 
And Serge just kept throwing him these questions. Yeah. It was just like, oh, my God. But then it was kind of funny. And my boss back then, who's on our advisory board now for our firm, uh, he was a mentor to me, David Betts. And I could kind of get a sense David was checking out a bit. Okay. And then I realized I got to get out. Uh So I started interviewing. Long story short, I ended up at Apple um, on their online store team which was pretty cool time because Steve Jobs was there back then. Mm-hmm. So I was there when we launched the first iPhone. You know, all you know when you're part of something that just changes in the industry. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I was there. Then, I, then after Apple, I worked at Harlequin, uh, the romance publisher. I can tell by your body. Yes, I, I, I <laughs> couldn't make the cover, so I worked in digital marketing instead. They put me in a back room with the candle and worked with the team. <laughs> Um, and then after that, I, you know, I guess you say I had the come to Jesus moment and realized I didn't want to work in a large corporation. Okay. Um, and started working in, you know, a smaller startup with the guy who really taught me a lot about sales, David DiGiuseppe. Um, cause I was, he called it detox for, for, you know, enterprise detox or for corporate detox. Mm. Like you're used to, you know, having resources, people do things in a startup. Is this with ESA or? This, yep, yep. Uh, essential skills. Um, and, um, and then after that, I joined um, with a couple of guys I knew, uh, launched a digital agency and incubator accelerator called Kinetic Cafe. And then after that, um, I built up uh, an executive education practice. And then that's what me and my business partner, who's been on your show before before me, mm-hmm. um, Servo Annex, and we work as educators. We teach CEOs and executives how to use digital and social media, and so that's that's what we've been doing. Let's let's go back just before uh, ESA. Yeah, you're, you're at uh, you're at Harlequin, mm-hmm. um, and, and I guess you know you quick you quickly went from Sears to Apple to Harlequin. It was like a couple of years. Yeah, you, you, you did all that. What was the, I mean, I can see the, uh, I don't know if glamour is the right word, but I, I can see the calling of, man, I want to be my own boss. I want to do my own thing. Yep. Um, but after being my own boss for, you know, three plus years. You've done it. I've done it. Mm. Um, it, you know, if, if I were to do it again, there's a whole lot of work I would I would do up front mm-hmm. or before yep. uh, doing that. Um, and, and a lot of it comes down to, really being prepared mentally mm. mentally being prepared and then really understanding what you're good at and what you're not good at mm. i'm very curious that decision for you was that a decision that you came to like right when harlequin was ending that you wanted to do or, or had you been thinking about this years in advance no i I'd, I'd i'd like to say i did but i'd be lying mm-hmm. i kind of work with other people and then finally if you had asked me 20 years ago i would have never thought that i'd start my own small firm yeah i always dreamed i'd be working a big company like in air canada become chief marketing officer or sure. what have um for me i think it came to a couple things where i realized to your point of working to the strengths and what i love to do mm-hmm. and i think if you're going to be accountable to anyone, you might as well be accountable to yourself and your clients. Mm. Um, we were very blessed that when we left Kinetic, um, you know, we amicably parted ways, and I wish them the best, you know, luck. But they went down a different road with the executive education practice that in firm that Khadija and I have built, and Amanda, who's now part of our team as well. Um, 
for us, it was just I love teaching. Like you, you, you know, I've seen your tweets mm-hmm. because remember when you take them out, right? And you take them to the uh, space agency events and the Jays games. Yeah, yeah. And, but you know, when you're in scouts, you're really involved with Cubs and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, when he gets that spark in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Like you're teaching him something, your wife's teaching him something, he gets it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we day, you know, like see at moments that thing just clicked, right? Yeah. For me, I love that. Whether it's a six-year-old child or a 66-year-old mm-hmm. executive on a board of a company, when you see that happen, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I realized I love that. I love technology, but technology can complicate our lives mm-hmm. or it can make it easier. Yeah. And then the third piece is just paying it forward, which you also inherently do, is just help others. We've been blessed with a lot in Canada. Yeah. yeah. How do we extend to our fellow Canadians? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether someone who's been living here who's homeless outside on the street or someone who's coming in from Syria or another country, sure. or Rwanda or Bosnia or Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So kind of with those three things, I thought, okay, I think I'm good at this stuff. I know yeah. what I'm lousy at. What do I do with this? And for me, it was just taking a step back and looking at it. And one of our first clients is a CMO, a large company. And the analogy she used was she said, I'm boxed in. So I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, I don't know. Like when we're talking about social, digital, e-commerce, mm-hmm. mobile, big data, all these things. So her point was, she goes, I don't know. My staff know I don't know. Uh-huh. I know they know I don't know. Yeah. So you can't fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to admit internally, depending on the organization, that they don't know because that's weakness. depends on the culture. Mm-hmm. You're expected to know it. They're not going to admit necessarily to an agency or vendor they don't know because the point was then they'll sell me stuff that I don't need. Mm-hmm. And they try to exploit it. And, you know, as much as there's classes at you know, George Brown right around the corner here, U of T, Rotman, Schulich, Harvard, wherever, I don't have the time to go to them. Like, I'm running a business. Yeah. I got staff, headcount, responsibilities, and whatever free time I have, mm-hmm. I'm going home to my wife and my kids. Yeah. And my husband and my children. So I don't have time to sit in a class with, the, you know, more junior people whose needs aren't the same as mine. Mm-hmm. So the point of these executives was they're boxed in. What do they do? Mm-hmm. So we realized, we said, we're going to teach them. And everyone thought, you're crazy. Yeah. No executive on Bay Street or Wall Street. It's going to pay you, Kareem, mm-hmm. to teach them about LinkedIn or Facebook. Yeah. But we saw differently, and we were fortunate that LinkedIn was a major partner that saw what we were doing because our point was that you know, if there was an account executive for LinkedIn and us, we could say we could both walk into Kareem Kanji's office, CEO, CEO of Kareem Inspired Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And we could both walk in with the same deck, but the difference between me and, say, the account executive, and whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, doesn't matter, Instagram – um, the difference is, is that your person's trying to sell him. Mm-hmm. We're trying to teach him. Mm-hmm. Who do you think he's going to trust? Yeah. And he's paying us to teach him. Yeah. So fortunately, LinkedIn saw that right away, and they were um, worked with us. Um, nice. A few people there: Brian Church, Brian Teage, uh, quite you know, um, Eric Woodnicki. A lot of people there have been very helpful over the years. Um, Rob Powers, and and then the other platforms saw it. Because mm-hmm. then for our firm, Servo Annex, our first major client, I think, you know, you were an entrepreneur. You remember your first big client. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one that helped you. The yeah. one that believes in you when no one's ever heard of Kareem Kanji. That's right. Like, yeah. who was on your first 
episode of this podcast before you started bringing all these rock stars on. Cream of life. Excluding me. Yeah. <laughs> right? But, yeah. you know, before the Brett Wilsons and the Angie Shh. Sats came on. Sure. Right? You remember them. Yeah. Um, so you remember your first client. And for us, we were fortunate it was National Bank of Canada. Mm-hmm. And we worked with them and we actually showed by teaching them what the return on investment was. And um, we were fortunate because we could actually track the return. And, and I'm allowed to disclose this because this was public. LinkedIn actually did a business case with it, and they saw 400% return on investment for wow. the work we did. So the bank made millions. But more importantly was Martin, who was the executive we worked with, he gave us a shot yeah. and didn't have to. You know, uh, there's an element of trust when someone at that level puts you in front of the board. Mm-hmm. It's no longer about you. What was that conversation like approaching, you know, one of the big banks in Canada? Um, I think it was different because... He, he got to see he had a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So they weren't they were they're they're big six of the big six, but they're a little more entrepreneurial. I mean, and and I, you know, no disrespect to the other banks, we work with a few of the other ones, but I don't know. It was just the right opportunity. He gave us a shot, and it was just that kind of relationship. And I learned a lot from him and folks there um, within Sean Shore was at National Bank of Compliance, Patrice Cayet, like all these people taught me a lot because I got a D in finance in undergrad. <laughs> I'm working with these people who work in financial services, but that's what I think for us as educators, they teach us. Yeah. We listen to them first before we can teach them what we know. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to teach them how to run their business or banking. With like, come on. Yeah. Uh, but digital, yeah, we have experience in that, and that's where we want to see them succeed. And But our model is a bit different, too, for our businesses. We only take clients on referral of client. So if a client's not referred by a client, we don't work with them. Mm-hmm. That's our role. Um, that's how we do it. What's the, well, let me ask, let me continue that. How, how do you, because you're not going to wait for national bank to refer you. You're going to have to ask them somehow because mm-hmm. you still need to pay next month's rent or, right. or mortgage or salaries for staff, salaries, expensive. Yeah. yeah. How do you encourage them not to just finish paying you, mm. uh, but to then recommend you to their circle of influence? For me, I think as simple as if you are if you get their time and their trust, mm-hmm. the money will come. If you go above and beyond with your heart to deliver for them, mm-hmm. I've seen it just again and again where the clients have helped us. I mean, there's three in particular, uh, Cookie, Al, and Charlie, who I consider are early clients of ours who are angel investors almost. Mm-hmm. And they just refer people without asking. Wow. Now, there are other clients, to maybe answer your question, where mm-hmm. if you do really great work and the client's really happy, yeah, then you might take a look at who they follow on Twitter mm-hmm. or who they're connected to on LinkedIn. Yeah. Say, I noticed, Kareem, you're connected to Lori, Joanne, Heidi, Hassie. Can you introduce me to them? Yeah. Um, if not, no worries. I don't think everyone imposed. And then they might say, well, look, Kareem, you're going to get along really well with Joanne and, and Heidi and yeah. Hesse. But Lori, not so much her. <laughs> She's not the cat's pajamas like mm-hmm. they are, right? But yeah. kidding aside, I, but but you have to earn it. And our, I'll tell, our model was really hard to start off with because yeah. it becomes a little more exclusive. But I believe that scarcity is creates value. Mm-hmm. What's the the toughest um, lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur? Wow. Okay. Or maybe even even the, the, the mm. toughest experience you've had. 
I'd say the toughest experience was one time I got introduced by a client to someone, a large firm. Mm-hmm. We met. I met with the executive in their office, shook hands, mm-hmm. had a deal. Mm-hmm. So I sent them our contract, and then their legal department got involved and started editing it and changing it. It ended up costing us about $3,000 in legal costs mm-hmm. for our legal counsel to you know, check stuff out. So I started doing the work. Because I believe the person. I think you're only as good as your word or your handshake. Mm-hmm. Like today, I got to tell you, I was ready to bail because it's freezing rain outside. Yeah. But coming up from north, but gave my word. Yeah. You know. Um, and what happened was they we did the work and then presented and then it didn't work out. Mm. They didn't pay. Mm. And I felt like an idiot. Uh, but one of our advisors, um, the one thing I'd say to any advisor, any entrepreneurs have an advisory board. So mm-hmm. one of our advisors, in, uh, Charles Tarek, who's been a mentor for me for 20 years, said, you got off easy. That's only a $3,000 lesson. Mm. Next time before you start work, yeah. sign the contract. Sign the contract. You don't start any work until the contract's signed. Yeah. Simple. And I didn't sign the contract. Um, and now that company's on my... Naughty list for Naughty life. <laughs> um, you know, and it's funny because life life's connected in certain ways where then a VP at that company applied out of one of our clients and then our client CEO asked me, Yeah. Do you know this person? It's like, I have no comment. <laughs> you know, mom was like, If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all but then they kinda looked at me and they're like Okay. Okay. <laughs> but you know, and, and, and I think that's you're so eager as an entrepreneur to make it work and you want to go that mile. But sometimes if they don't do it, you walk away. Yeah. That's, that's, that that hurt. That was a hard lesson. Yeah. But it was a worthwhile one. Um, what about, what about, so tell me, where did you get the idea or how did you know that an advisory board was important? Um, from some people over the years, I learned that in other companies, um, you know, I picked it up, mm-hmm. you know, and observing from people who are smarter than me. And um, I think, you know, maybe the three things I'd say to any entrepreneur, if you're going to start is have a great lawyer. Yeah, see, you should have told me this five years ago. Well, I didn't know you. <laughs> Six, didn't have me on your show ago. before. Um, <laughs> uh, have a really good account and bookkeeper. Like if... You know, yeah, I, yeah, I stink yeah. at that, you know, um, mm-hmm. and then have an advisory board because I think being an entrepreneur as glorified as it may appear is a, and as you know, is a, can be a pretty crappy, lonely road. Yeah. And I think sometimes you need people to keep you between the guardrails. So our best move, I mean, besides obviously my business partner, mm-hmm. I, she leads as chairwoman of the board. I effectively report into her. I'd like to think I don't, but mm-hmm. um, when I listen to her, things go better. But you need people to keep in the guardrail so people like our advisory board members, Imran Kidwai, Tamar Payton, Charles Tarek, David Betts, Chris Nguyen, Linda Descano, Lisa Shallot, just um, really good people. But they put air in your tires when you need it, mm-hmm. and they take it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one time I called one of our advisory board members the evening. I think I was frustrated on a client issue, and I called at 7 o'clock. I was really frustrated. And I remember a board member took the phone and I was maybe venting. And then they were just like, Suleiman, like if I was a client right now, I'd be furious with you. Get your head out of your butt. Mm. Grow up. Mm. Click. 
So for me, I wondered, um, I was a bit of a shock. Now, the next morning, the advisor called me and said, look, I'm really sorry. You called me at dinner time. One of my kids threw up. It was bad timing. Yeah. And I was like, no, you were right. I actually needed to hear that. And I took the opposite approach of what I thought I should do and what you suggested. And I contacted the client, and they're thrilled. So you need people that keep you humble but keep you, you know, confident. You know that, that confident humility mix? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I think. You know, and we certainly wouldn't be there without our advisory board members. No question. They're a part of our success, and um, I'm I'm humbled that we've got them on board because these people don't have to give me their time. Yeah. So what what have they what have they promised or, or to you you? Is it like you can call me once a week? You call my, me whenever my, you need to. What's what's the relationship like? I think to the point where many of them I can call them whenever I need to, but I respect their time, so I usually do it as one hour a month, pre-scheduled. Okay. Let me run through some things. Or here's a new curriculum we've developed. We want to walk you through it, get your feedback. Um, there's different people at different times. Um, but the difference is because they're not on our board of directors, we don't have to have directors and officers liability insurance. Okay. You don't have – they're not personally liable. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some of our clients, like with Linda Descano, uh, she was at Citibank, and she's a LinkedIn influencer, and we were – quite humble to have her on board she um when we signed with them we had to sign an agreement with citibank that we could never have them as a client you could never have who as a client? citibank where she worked as a client oh same thing with them ron kid at intel we can never work with intel or any other companies they own as clients okay that's a con even though they're not paid yeah yeah, yeah. but there's got there's a clear delineation yeah and some of them we had to show our financials and everything show who we were what we were about to make sure you're up and up we're up and up and we're just this little firm in canada but yeah you know, reputation's important, and um, you know, uh, we were fortunate in another case where one of our clients, Lisa Shallot, um, you know, she was CMO at, with Goldman, and I mean, she did her MBA at Harvard, and just incredible. Mm-hmm. She was a client, and then she joined our board, yeah, um, because just that was someone of that caliber you want. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to have diversity. Um, you know, I don't remember a couple of years ago when Microsoft. Their CEO was atta- criticized at a women's conference for making some pretty tone-deaf comments about women. Mm. Do you remember rings that? A, rings a bell, yeah. yeah. So I was ready to jump on Twitter and pile on and say, look at that. Sure, sure. Then I took a step back and looked at our own board. Yeah. Only one of the five of our board members was a woman. Mm-hmm. So I thought, it's kind of hypocritical. Yeah. So now we're fortunate out of our seven advisory board members, three of them are women. And they're not there because they're women. Sure. They're just damn good executives yeah. and mentors. Um, but I think our business has grown as a result of that. Um, I don't see diversity as a as a weakness. I think it's actually a strength mm-hmm. um, in my experience anyways. How is it working with your wife? Good. I mean, I'm. we ha- we both have – She's not going to listen to this, so you can tell uh, me. Well, she- I, I, you know what? I think it, it's, it, it takes I can't time. see myself working with Minaz, not because – I don't like her. It's because I don't know. We're, we're so different. We are, we are as well. Yeah. But we don't work together every day. Mm-hmm. There's moments where we work together. Yeah. And there's, there's space. Uh, she's more of an introvert than me. Okay. And I'm more client facing. Although she does some more increasing more client work now. It's kind of funny. Some clients want her opinion, not mine. <laughs> I'm okay with that yeah. um, because I think it's what's best for the client yeah um and um uh you know and i think she's been very patient with me Mm -hmm. and um you know but this 
Uh, Servo Annex is maybe my thing. I think she's now finding her way, and she'll start her own business, and I'll support her. Yeah. Just that's kind of how you do it. What is she starting? I don't know. You'll have to ask her maybe. I should, I should bring her on. You should bring her on at some point. Well, let's call her now. You're going to call her? <laughs> no. I'm not okay. Gonna I'm not going to call her now. I don't have the technology to, to call You're her. You're not and, there yet. And get her. No, no, no. Although I'm curious, Suleiman, if I should even do that, if I should get a system set up where I could call people or people can Skype in. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe after I get comfortable and mm. I'm comfortable talking to people face to face, I'm afraid that I won't get that same connection and understand people's nuances. Yeah. If I, if I do it, you know, over Skype or something. I, I like it's funny you say that because when we teach our clients, we always meet face to face. Yeah. So I'll, I'll fly into Boston with the client, meet them for 45 minutes, and fly out. Yeah. Um, Kevin O'Leary. I didn't say who our clients were. No. Um, Just guessing. Um, but, it, but I think – and you're good at that. That's uh, – there's certain nuances. And technology is good, I think, in certain cases. But yeah. in others, you can't pick up things. True. You True. can't see if Brett's looking at his watch or someone's mm-hmm. like speed it up. Mm-hmm. Those are things you pick up face-to-face. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. Um, so Servo Annex, what does that even mean? Well, actually, the name, um, um, a mutual friend of ours is in our group, the Cat's Pajamas, Joel Mearns. Yeah. He actually, when I, we were looking to launch the company, I was trying to think of a name. Mm-hmm. So Joel said, I've had this name for a while. I've been sitting on but I'm going to give it to you. Really? So Servo came from Joel. Okay. And I said, well, what the heck does Servo mean? Yeah. And he's like, Servo would imply service. Service, sure. But en français, Servo mm-hmm. means brain. Okay. So that was the first part. And then the second part, Annex, um, another friend, we were going to call it like Servo Acceleration, but he was like, that's not really good. Yeah. So we shortened it to Annex, and Annex is actually inspired from Anne Frank. So okay. Annex is a safe part of the home mm. where you can learn and be in peace and secure. Yeah. And so for us, providing that environment for executives to learn peacefully, some of them, you know, because of whether it's confidence or you know, just their own dignity or respect, don't want to know that they're learning stuff. Sure. So that level, you're just expected to know it. Yeah. So that's what the name means. Interesting. How's Adam doing? <laughs> Adam is good. He's uh, busy with soccer and hockey and uh, keeps us busy like the girls. So you have two girls, one boy? We have two girls and one boy. Okay. Girl, girl, boy. Girl, girl. So, the, so he has two older sisters. Two older sisters. So he gets picked on. I think they baby him more than anything. Oh, do they really? I'm just glad with him and the cat, there's at least three guys in the house and three girls. <laughs> um, so the reason I bring up Adam yep. is we're in 2017. So Christmas time, mm-hmm. December 2015, Yes, um, you start your career in media. <laughs> and I, I, I say that uh, in jest. You, so so t- tell us what happened. You You were flying from... Halifax. Uh, mm-hmm. um, your your parents, I'm assuming. My my um, my in laws actually. We were visiting them for Christmas. Your in laws are there. Yeah. And you were heading to the states. Yep. To watch um, one of the um, outdoor hockey games. The Winter Classic, Montreal Winter, and Boston. The Winter yeah. Classic, Montreal. But you're flying to Boston. Correct. For that. Um, tell tell us what what happened there. In in your words, we've we've seen it on every single news outlet. Yeah. Um, so what happened was earlier in December, I had um, 
my wife and kids were going to Halifax. I was coming about a week later on business. And every time since our son's been born, mm. Adam's born in Toronto, he's been on the Canadian no-fly list. Yeah. Since he was six weeks old when we first went to visit his grandparents. And after a while, you just you have to accept it. And did you know, like, right then and there? We got told by an Air Canada agent who didn't have to tell us. But yeah. He said it's, you know, because we thought it was me at one point, but it didn't make sense because I used to be a flight attendant. Yeah. So I've had heavy security clearance and background checks. Sure. So then she looked and said, well, no, who's Adam? And first she looked at me, and I'm like pointing down at him on the floor with his dinky cars. And then she's like, you're kidding me. And I'm like, no, that's him. Uh-huh. So he was on the list. So we just kind of said, okay, well, we can't do anything. And then the previous governments, they weren't very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened that I took a – when the agent wasn't looking, I turned her screen and yeah. took a photo of it. Yeah. And that was – End of December, but I didn't do anything. I just took the photo, and then we had to take my wife and kids to the gate. Yeah. Then on the um, December 31st, 2015, we were leaving Halifax to go to Boston via Toronto. Mm-hmm. So one of our clients invited us to the game. So Adam was quite excited because he's sure. a big Habs fan, like me. Yeah. And they, you know, I knew the agents at the gate. And again, the agents, it's not their fault. They're just doing their jobs. And I knew them. They looked at me and they said, Solomon, we're sorry. we got to make the call. And I was like, you're kidding me. So how am I going to explain to my six-year-old son? Yeah. He's on the designated high-profile no-fly list. Yeah. Like, you're not going to a hockey game, son, because they think you're a terrorist. Yeah. Or your name matches one. Yeah. So I took the photo that I took before, and I tweeted it out yeah. at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I said, you know, Air Canada, just curious why my six-year-old Canadian-born son is on the DHP no-fly list. Yeah. He has to clear security every time. Mm-hmm. He is six. Yeah. And I put a smiley face. Yeah. I attached the photo. And on Twitter, if people are familiar with Twitter, what you can do is you can tag people in the photo. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I tagged Air Canada, Aeroplan, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, mm-hmm. RMP, who has been terrific on this, Minister Philpot, Gene Philpot, and uh, Stefan Dion of Foreign Affairs, and most importantly, my wife. Yeah. Tweeted it out. Yeah. I didn't think much of it. I thought, okay, like I don't have a lot of followers like you or whatever. I got a couple, <laughs> and I just thought, whatever. I, I tweeted out, and then I got in the plane and took shut off my phone. And then we landed in Toronto, and I turned on my phone briefly. <laughs> it was a text from, I think it was my sister. Yeah. And then it was in caps, and it was like, check Twitter now. Oh, wow. Like right now. And it just picked up. One of our clients, she was going for a morning run, and she saw it, and she was furious. Mm-hmm. So she called a producer, I think, a global national. Yeah. And then um, Jamie Sturgeon, who was there at the time, he got involved. And there was, like, I guess reporters have, like, finders. Like, they'll go out and look yeah, for yeah. stories. And they'll ask, can, you, can I talk to you? Yeah. So I think her name is Kibria Coughlin from Global tweeted at me and said, we're really interested in your story. Could you talk? Mm-hmm. And I think 12 people liked it. Oh, wow. Her tweet. So I yeah. think that was, like telling them okay there's interest here and then it was jamie who wrote it and it just kind of picked up i didn't expect it to go to where it did and i think maybe the lesson there is sometimes on twitter and things you you poke the bear Mm -hmm. okay what happens if the bear wakes up yeah uh what are you gonna do and we were in the midst of just um getting overwhelmed i mean like all the major networks Camera trucks were outside our house. They want wow. to interview us. CBC, Société Radio-Canada, CTV, uh, Angie from Global. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and front page of the Globe, the Toronto Star, the New York Times, the Guardian, the Telegraph. We had friends in Malta and Argentina who saw it. It was on. Really? Oh, yeah. It was the 11th highest trending topic on Yahoo, and I wouldn't have known that, but a U.S. client was like, oh, your son's on the homepage of Yahoo. And it's like. <laughs> so um, from that, it wasn't about us, though. It was Khadija, actually, my wife, turned around because many parents who were afraid put up their hands and said, our son or daughter's on this list, too. Wow. So she turned around and rather playing victim, became an advocate and started mm-hmm. collecting names. And, of course, the way, obviously, um, people like uh, who you, Brett Wilson you had on your show, he's been a huge advocate. Yep. Um, and, and others got involved, and it just drew attention to the ridiculousness of the situation that Canadian-born children are on this no-fly list. And it's not just about the inconvenience, although you have a son, and I'm sure you quite enjoy traveling with sure. children, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a bit inconvenient. Sure. So imagine now, because Mary, you can't check in online. You have to go to the airport three hours ahead, and he has to be cleared by security every time. Mm-hmm. Domestic, U.S., international. That's an inconvenient because sometimes you can be delayed. Sometimes you could even miss your flight. That's right. But the bigger problem is, is when the kids turn 18, they become adults. So then they go on the list as an adult. And oh. in today's world, if we all remember what happened to Maharar. Yes. So you're familiar with him. Yep. And uh, that was a Canadian who the Canadian intelligence agencies gave false data to the United States, identified him as a terrorist, and the United States extradited him a black site in Syria, tortured him for a year, until his wife, Monia Mazig, vocally advocated for her husband's release, and then they had to release him. Prime Minister Harper at the time had to apologize, and they had to give him $10 million. Mm-hmm. So our concern is, is for our children is that we're not questioning security. Yeah. But they should have a redress system. Yeah. So what we discovered in the whole thing was that this system was not the Americans' fault. It's not the U.S. Which was something that you had been told? It had been inferred. Okay. You know, maybe not told directly, yeah, but, yeah. well, it could also be this. And we had proven um, through information we had received back channel from the U.S. government, but more specifically the Department of Homeland Security, any Canadian can apply for a redress number, even if you're not a U.S. citizen. Okay. So Adam got one. In February, and then in March, he went for a family wedding in Edmonton. I don't know who gets married in Edmonton, but that's a different story <laughs> in March. And he got flagged again. Wow. Like an internal flight. Domestic from Toronto to Edmonton. Huh. So that proved to us, aha, it's Canadian list. It's Canadian. So with the group of parents, um, created a group, the website's noflylistkids.ca, mm-hmm. which was created by Zamir Khan uh, and his wife, Heather Harder. Their little boy, Sebastian David, who's two, is on the list. Uh, other parents. Sorry, what's his name? Sebastian David. Sebastian David. Khan. He's two. Huh. He's on the list. Um, Karen Ahmed, who created our YouTube channel. Her son, Adam Ahmed, who's now turned 18. Yeah. No relation to us. Same name as Adam. He's on the list. Uh, Natalie Pierre. So now he's an, ad- he's quote he's unquote an adult. adult. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. that's serious because the checks become more invasive. Like right now, you and I can look after our little boys. Sure. But when they're 18, we can't protect them. No. And the security checks become more invasive. Yeah. So we believe that this is a violation of their charter rights. Yeah. But we want to work together with the federal government to fix this. So a couple of things out of this. So number one, you, I mean, you worked on, albeit it was the e-commerce mm-hmm. platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard um, Minister Goodale, mm-hmm. I think, um, talk about how it's, it, you know, it's it's something that he's been told 
will take at least six months. And this was maybe two months ago. He said this in a meeting in Markham. Uh, at 18 Markham months. School. He said 18 months? Yep. So 18 months. Um, and so, and, and I've spoken to um, Brett Wilson, who said something to the effect that it's, you know, it's, it's a simple thing that you could do in the program. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, I think back and I go, it can't be so complicated that you can't add a field. Like a database, like a date of birth, the SIN number, something yeah, like, like a unique like, identifier. Yeah, yeah. Like the Americans have. Sure. Like, can't you, could you not theorize, like, I mean, heck, we've got so much tech firms here in Toronto, in Canada. You would think. Um, that are some of the brightest people. Yep. Um, could this not be something that can be fixed in a hackathon? <laughs> if, if I, I think if you that's... should maybe have your viewers tweet the PM or someone and ask them, can we do a hackathon to create a uh, you know a database for their no-fly redress system? Um, I like that idea. But but uh, I don't know. You tell me. Is it as is it simple, or am I being too simple about it? And it's more complicated. I think that security is important, and I don't think that that's there. But the problem is, we have no idea where things are at now. Mm. My son's seven. I can wait a few years. Yeah. But for people like Adam Ahmed, who's turned 18, and I can give the names of these children because their parents went to the media publicly. There are other families who are frightened right now who, who names remain confidential. All we sure. do is take their names and provide them to the federal government. You can imagine what there's 50-some-odd kids on this 57 list? 57 have come forward. 57 I, have come forward, and uh, we're living are, in a country of 35 million. I, I'll bet. Like, if there's two Adam Ahmeds who are on the list, and anyone named Adam Ahmed in Canada is on that list. Yeah. So I would say that this name's got hundreds. Now, yeah. there are kids who are white. Yeah. Black, Chinese, Jewish mm-hmm. were on this list. Yeah. Male, well, Sebastian's female. on it. Yeah. I mean, well, Adam Ahmed doesn't sound like a very Muslim Arabic name, mm-hmm. right? But that's not the point. Yeah. One of the kids, Mike Pierre, who bravely stepped forward to 16. Um, Mark Pierre? Mike Pierre. Mike Pierre. Caucasian. English Mike, name. Yeah. But he stopped because his name apparently matches some pedophile. Huh. So what does that do to that young man when he's going to travel with his buddies across Europe or backpack or go wherever? Yeah. Our government, I think, has a responsibility to fix this. And my question would be, I will say that this government compared to the previous one has been more responsive. But this issue isn't about Adam and my tweet a year ago. Mm -hmm. They've known about this for 10 years. Yeah. The bureaucrats under Minister Goodale, under the prime minister, have known about this for many years. In fact, one of the parents works in one of the ministries. Whoa. Their child's on the list. Mm-hmm. Another parent is on active duty in the Canadian Armed Forces. Their child's on the list. Another child actually has a legal pilot's license. They can fly a plane, and they're on the list. They can fly a plane, but if he went on a commercial flight... They're going to get flagged. So the, so the question becomes, if children are on this list, how good's your list? Mm-hmm. And how many people have you actually stopped? Mm-hmm. And this is a good use of our resources, our taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer may be simple, but sometimes I think it is simple. Um, we've heard they're working on it. What we've heard back channel is that they're trying to get budget in the current federal budget. So what I would ask anyone is to take a look at noflylistkids.ca. There's a section that says how to help. Yeah. And we created a template where you can email Minister Morneau, who's the Minister of Finance, to request that he put the budget in for a redress system. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically the money to fix this. Yeah. 
Because it's been a year and so far nothing's been done. I mean, they did an announcement last year where they launched this PPIO office, which is a website. It's not staff. There's no one there. What does that stand for? PPI? Passenger Protect Information Office. Okay. I could use another acronym, but I won't. <laughs> um, because to me, I think that's a false hope to people, like yeah. you're doing something. Now, maybe they are. I will say that Minister Goodale, we've met with him personally. Yeah. He's assured us. You know, so we're cautiously optimistic. Hmm. But this is issue is bigger than our son. It's about a lot of people. Yeah. And so we hope. And, and, and I think that's maybe one thing I would say about social and you and other people um, have tweeted about it, have talked about it, have written about it, which has kept this in the public eye where it set the agenda that this is an important issue that's impacting Canadian children. Yeah. Now veterans, we find out, are on this list who fought for our country. Veterans? Yes. Met a guy at Wild Wings one night, and he said people in his Legion Hall are on this list. Hmm. How offensive that someone who serves our nation yeah. is treated this way. Um, I So I think that what, what inspires me as a Canadian is that a lot of Canadians who got behind this and have supported this. I mean, think about it. It's been a year, and it's still in the eye. Yeah. Like, you think the government think, okay, 15 minutes, and this will go away. And we're just getting bigger. I want to ask, so where where are we now? So we're we're <laughs> the government has said we're going to do something, mm-hmm. but we now need to uh, create some sort of a budget so we could actually, you know, solve theoretically solve it by throwing money at it. Somehow, they'll pay someone to fix it. Or, so or what we know is. is that Robert Fife, who is the bureau chief for the Globe and Mail in Ottawa, wrote an article in November and said that cabinet approved it. Yeah, and he put a budget cost around it. Yeah. But we didn't hear anything about that because apparently what happened was that was a leak. Hmm. So we don't know. And on one hand, we've also been advised because the budget's supposed to drop soon. Legally, we can't be told if something's in the budget. Fair enough. So we'll know once the budget's announced. Yeah. Um, and we're we're cautiously optimistic it'll be there. Uh, Minister Goodale struck me as someone who does what he says and he keeps his word. Hmm. So... I'm hoping that's the case. Let's see what happens. Yeah, right? let's see. Um, lots of stuff. Yep. So we'll leave no fly list kids. Um, but lots of stuff has happened, Suleiman, since I would say the November American election. Mm. Um, you know, as as you're watching it, and and I'm, I'm guessing by your name that you're Muslim. Um, Actually, I'm Irish. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. What's going through your mind, September, October, November, as you see that this is a um, an, an election between Hillary Clinton, who is is a, a quote unquote I would call her a, a flawed Democratic candidate, um, a, against um, someone that went, as soon as he put his hat in thought it was a joke, you know, against Donald Trump. What's going through your mind as you see? The, the popularity and, and all of the things that that Trump was doing that you would say, okay, this is it. You know, he, he, he bad mouths a, a war veteran, a war hero. He makes fun of a disabled reporter. Mm. Um, as, as you're seeing all this, um, you know, what's going through your mind as you? I... And, well, and, and then, yeah. so, so hold that thought. And then as we get to, he gets elected. Yeah. And then we sort of move forward with his inauguration, the Women's March, and so on. What, what's going through your mind throughout this whole process? You know, I'm not an... What I'll say is, 
My experience with people in the United States, across the U.S., I mean, early in college, I drove across the U.S., kind of Jack Kerouac style, and, we, mm-hmm. and, and I found Americans to be very hospitable, kind people. Um, I think that in the past few years, because of technology, lack of regulation, um, a lot of Americans are suffering, loss of jobs, mm-hmm. and I think many Americans were ignored for many years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when people are so desperate, they'll drink whatever looks like water. Yeah. Because there is none. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a snake oil salesman. Um, so when he first came on, I thought he was just doing it to get some popularity. Yeah. Um, and then he won. Then he won again. And... Um, that's a deep question. I mean, I also look at someone once made the comment to me because he used to serve on the board of White Ribbon, which is to end violence against women mm-hmm. on the board for seven years, uh, which was an organization that was created after the Montreal Ecole Polytechnique massacre. And it was interesting the comment that was made that an African American could be elected as president much quicker than a woman could. Mm. So I wonder if, mm. and I certainly don't espouse Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if she was a man, would that have made a difference? Mm. I think that's one question. Interesting. Um, because if we look at Trump, he's no better with everything that's come out now. I mean, he's the only president candidate who never released his tax returns. Yeah. Since Carter. Since Okay, so since Carter. Yeah. Before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I... That's one side. Um, I think it also opened up very clearly an opening for the angular side of society. Yeah. And both of my grandfathers fought in World War II against Nazis, Mm -hmm. against Imperial Japan, on the front line. Yeah. And so when you're taking up people on one, you know, you're taking up, you're opening an area for people that are, I I don't like the term alt-right. Like, just call them racists. Okay. White supremacist, call them Nazis. Yeah. You know, lipstick on a pig, yeah. still a pig. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit surprising. And, and I think, you know, I don't know enough maybe more to comment on the U.S. election, but I think many Americans voted because they were very unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think more in terms of Canada, uh, there was a bit of shock at what happened. And... Um, having studied a bit of history at university, I found that many of the things that you see or what's happening where you pick on a certain group, and in the 1930s it was the Jews, mm-hmm. to ostracize and demonize them because someone's got to be blamed for your lot in life. Because mm. you're really going to look where the focus is. Yeah. Should it be the person who hasn't declared his tax returns, who hasn't paid people, mm-hmm. who litigates? Or are you going to blame a family from Syria? Yeah, uh, the irony I find on that is having worked on the team that launched the iPhone is yeah. that Steve Jobs' biological father was a Syrian immigrant. Yeah, so I wonder if you know certain people who tweet mm-hmm. realize the phone they're using was built by a Muslim. Yeah, um, or the treatment towards women I found is absolutely abhorrent. Mm. Um, there's so many. There's a list, but I think we also have to look at people are so angry. That in spite of all that, they still voted for him. Yeah. So why? And what can we do to ensure that that doesn't happen again? One, so 
I don't know if that answers your question or not. But. Yeah, I know that's good. So uh, Heidi has a question for you. Oh boy. Okay. Um, and and I think it's a, I think it's a good question. And I'll preface it with this: we, um, we don't hide stuff from Cosmo. He's ten years old, going on eleven, but we've sort of never hidden anything from him. Um, you know, he every everything from he's seen uh, great grandparents pass. Mm. Um, he has. Uh, first thing in the morning, Metro Morning goes on. Whether, Galloway. Whether yeah, whether it's good, bad, or ugly news. How old is he? He's ten now. Nice. Okay. Um, he he hears mm. what is happening in Toronto and in, in, in around the world. Um, we you know we talk to him when when we travel to different places, and we've been fortunate enough um, to go to East Africa, South Africa, uh, Europe, um, down in the states with him. Um, you know, so we've been to, you know, we went to that museum in South Africa, I think in Cape Town. Robin Island? It wasn't Robin Island. I think it was in Cape Town or Joburg. Was it the Apartheid Museum, maybe? Mm. And they there's a white entrance and a black entrance, so that you could actually see this is how people yep. would go into it. So he's seen all this, and we want him to know. Yep. Um about the history of the world mm. and different things that are going on and, and the future, right? Mm. Um, how do you, so the question from Heidi is, how do you talk to your kids about, you know, how, how did you talk to Adam about him being on the list? How do you, ta- how do you talk to Adam about, I mean, Cosmer started swearing like crazy mm-hmm. when Trump got elected. Mm. Um how do you talk to him about what's happening? Or do you talk to him? I'm curious. No, we do. And not just Adam, but, you know, your kids. No, our general. daughter, too. Um, so with Adam, we talk to them honestly because our view is his kids aren't stupid. Mm-hmm. They know a lot. Probably smarter than my kids are smarter at that this age now than I was back then. Sure. With the Internet and with so many things. So I would say that my wife is especially as well. We. We'll, we'll talk to them and tell them things because they're going to ask. Yeah. So you might as well explain them in two a way because I think people have a fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, when the recent tragedy in Quebec City happened. Yeah. The next day at Adam's school, because he goes to a Muslim school or the building shared with the mosque, there was a police presence there. Yeah. You're not going to lie to a kid when half, the flag's at half mass and there's police in front. Yeah. But we explain that this is what's happened and... It's here for your safety. You're fine. Yeah. But this is this is it. So they understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was difficult because what happened in Quebec was the first time that I can recall in recent history, if ever, that there was a murder in a house of worship in Canada. Whether it was a mosque, a church, a temple, a synagogue, or anything. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think so. That leads to maybe your question too, because my eldest daughter's turning thirteen. Okay. She was like, you know, noticing this conversation that we both had was, well, there doesn't seem to be a lot of outrage about this compared to other tragedies. Um, So, for example, when Brussels or London or Paris happened, people changed their avatars. Yeah. Now, one point that I didn't know that a mutual friend of ours, Jamie Stein, mentioned to me was Facebook provided the ability on one click to change that Mm. before. So in some cases, you can't blame people if it's not available. Sure. Um, but what was more poignant, I think, though, was that the next morning 
not Monday morning, it was supposed to be a protest to Trump's travel ban. Yes. So I went with my daughter. I said, today, no, you don't have to go to school. Let's go there. Mm. And we were at the very respectful, polite protest. People were shaking hands with police officers and everything was fine. But the protest outside the U.S. consulate to the travel ban, um, you know, there were quite a few hundred people. It was freezing that day. Yeah. You know, school work day. And there were hundreds of people there. And the vast majority of them, I would say, didn't look Muslim. Mm-hmm. like brown or tanned or whatever, right? Caucasian, you name it. And I said, that's Canada. Yeah. So you need to know that there are people that stand up who speak out. And I think that's a responsibility as Canadians. And I think I'm very thankful that I live in a country like that. But I also think that we can't take things for granted. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think our public officials, our government officials, our media, our personalities have to watch the words they use mm-hmm. because words matter. Yeah. And it leads to tragedies like in Quebec City. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm hopeful that, maybe to answer your question, the U.S., that there are enough checks and balances on government that you can't just go and do what you want to do. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Um, But to me, we try to keep honest conversation with our kids. Um, and sometimes we may not have the answers, but at least you're listening to them. Mm-hmm. My wife's really good at that. I'm maybe not as strong. <laughs> um, what you know, diff- people? Did that answer Hesse's question? I hopefully it does. Heidi's question. Heidi, sorry, Heidi, yeah, yeah. Heidi, Heidi. Yeah. Um, people react differently to different things. Mm. Um, I, I remember the first time that I realized that I was desensitized to a lot of things going on Mm. was when I was in my second last year at York University. Um, We went on a backpacking trip. Myself, my cousin, and a a schoolmate of his from England went on a backpacking trip to Pakistan. Mm. And we found ourselves in, I want to say Gilgit, northern Pakistan. And, And it might have been somewhere else. But seeing... Walking in the streets were soldiers with, I don't know if there were machine guns or rifles, whatever the proper terminology. And I wasn't scared. I wasn't, and this is a long time ago, um, you know, I wasn't scared. I, I wasn't frightened. I wasn't shocked. Um, but as soon as I saw that and it didn't affect me, I said, man, I've watched so, I've, I've, I've seen mm. so much of this primarily through television and whether it's the news or whether it's TV programming that actually seeing this in life doesn't shock me and then after the Quebec I remember Sunday I was um, I think I was preparing for what I usually do on Sundays I prepare for the week and one of the things I prepare for is are these podcasts and and I'll sit down and I'll do some reading prepping for them yeah and and, and I'll prep and I remember my brother um, (laughs) he messaged me and said, did you hear about the the shooting in Quebec uh, at a mosque? Um, and he was curious because of the timing. Uh, it, it was around 7 o'clock. Prayer time, th- leaving prayer time. Right around prayer there. time. So yeah. he says, is it a Jamaat Khana yeah. in Quebec? So I quickly looked. And so this is what I'm thinking. I quickly looked, and it wasn't in Montreal. And I know that there's only Jamaat Khana in Montreal yeah. in Quebec. There isn't one in anywhere else. So I said, no, it's not. Um and I found myself not literally not being affected 
that oh my goodness uh, six seven Muslim men or Muslims we did, I, I did I don't know if anyone knew if it was men or children or women um, have have been killed yeah. uh, by by this gunman um, and I saw you know one of my coworkers her I don't know if it was a friend or a relative um, was actually covering it on Facebook Live um, it was starting to spread through through Twitter. Uh, no media, I don't. No large media, I think, were covering it. Nope. Uh, at the time. Nope. Um, well, Société Radio Canada and TVA in French mm-hmm. covered it, but the my view is, and our, my dad worked in the media for many years. I think the major Canadian English networks, CBC, CTV, Global, they all dropped the ball. Hmm. And in fact, and it was written in the Globe and Mail by um, uh, the one guy, um, columnist, who said that they dropped the ball. Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard that. I heard that on Canada Land, I think it was. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, it, it didn't, it, it, to be honest, I don't know if this is a bad thing or, whatever, or whatnot, but it, it didn't impact me mm. the way that I thought maybe it should have. Mm. Um, you know, I, I did raise a question on, on Facebook and Twitter which which I've tended to do over the past six weeks, just throw out a question. Yeah, you're throwing out a couple of spicy uh, I, and I just throw it out things there. out there. Yeah, I've you know, seen that. And you know, my wife will get mad at me for doing that. She'll poke fun at me. I and and other people literally will get angry at me for asking questions, which is both concerning and funny at the same time. But anyways, um, that keep, being yeah, but my view is keep asking the questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you're provoking a reaction, yeah, good or bad, you're at least getting a reaction. And be respectful. But yeah, I think yeah, you yeah. Are. Uh, and a friend of ours called me on, I don't know if it was Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, and called and asked how I was doing. I said, I'm fine. And uh, I had a few people call me and ask me how you know, I was doing. I appreciated that. Yeah, and, and I told her I appreciated it. But I said, I don't know what it is, but I, I think I'm numb to all of this. Because whether it is happening in Africa or in the Middle East or in the States or now here in Canada, um, it's been happening so much. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's been happening so much that it doesn't shock me when these things happen. Um, the closer, obviously, the closer it gets to "quote unquote" home, mm. uh, it impacts me. Listen, I had, a, I had a first cousin, my my dad's eldest brother, his son um, was working in the Twin Towers and happened to go and get a coffee at oh. that time. His sister was in the mall in Nairobi uh, when that mall uh, got That's ambushed. Up. She was, she, you know, we saw her on a clip running out um, when they started to, to, I don't know if it was the army, the police force had started to go in. So, I, you know, I've, I've quote unquote been close to these sorts of things, but it's, I, I don't know if, if, if because of all of these things, Suleiman, that it numbed me. And I, and I, and I, and I say all, all of that to ask you, hmm. um, how did it affect you? Um, I mean, the first major thing that I think impacted anyone here was 9-11. Mm. For me, having been a flight attendant and worked for four years, that had an impact because I worked on the planes. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've also seen the after effect when years ago, I don't know if you remember, when Swiss Air crashed outside of Halifax. So we, it was funny, it was not funny, but ironic, or if that's a term, where Air Canada was having a strike at the time, but then crews cross picket line volunteer to work compassion flights from Boston to Logan to Halifax to bring family friends with their employees to help them and mm-hmm. at one point we had a ceremony on the beach and memory of the crews so it 
that resonated. Um, I think we all live, you know, in our own worlds or bubbles, if you will. And I sure. think perhaps with the a lot of the media, like one person recently told me, a client of ours, he said he just doesn't watch the news anymore. Mm. He used to look forward to it. Now it's just depressing. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes, you know, and then with social media on top of it, it's, it gets amplified. There's yeah. an echo chamber. Um, I think that sometimes if you reach out to people um, that are impacted by it, you tend to be more sympathetic. Mm. So I'll give you an example. I love PlayStation with my son. We'll play hockey and soccer and stuff. But then sometimes we got like Medal of Honor or certain shooting games. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it was a big deal about it, but when my wife, who's done a lot of work, as you know, with new Canadians who come to this country from Syria, and you talk to them. Yeah. They tell you that stories about their relatives being killed in front of them. Um, I'm, I just made a decision that I'm not trying to be a pacifist or everything, but I just said, okay, I'm not playing these games. Yeah. Um, that's a choice I made. I'm not telling anyone else what to do. Um, I also think that if someone's hurt, the right thing to do, and people approach, you approach a fellow Canadian, or other race, religion, sex, sexual orientation, whatever, to, to ask how they're doing, I think to be, to show a degree of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important. This issue that happened in Quebec City hit home because it's in Canada. Yeah. Now, we've had tragedies in Canada before where the gentleman soldier was killed in Ottawa. Uh, RCMP officers were shot by a lone gunman in Fredericton, or Moncton, rather. But this was, I don't know, maybe it's because of the same faith, and maybe it's... But what it, I think it did was it also allowed me to have empathy with African Canadians. Mm. You know, we read about the Civil Rights Movement and what things have happened where, you know, blacks have been killed in churches. Yeah. Or the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was very poignant that the Jewish community stepped up, you know, in Toronto and I believe in other communities across the country where they formed those rings around mosques. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, and it was a friend of mine who, and a client who's Jewish told me that it actually originated from Europe. Oh, wow. Where there was an attack on a synagogue and then the Muslim community formed rings around the synagogues. Mm. So I do think that there's more that binds us that divides us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just have to look for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know. I've had you here for a while. I you have. have. I'm I probably have. gonna have to edit a bit. I have, I'm not editing anything. I have, <laughs> <laughs> I have one. <laughs> I don't want this to be a job. I, I one one final question. Sure. We've talked about a bunch of heavy stuff. We have. Um, you you. Why are, don't I get the easy questions? Why am I getting the heavy stuff? Why don't you <laughs> ask like Angie, Brad, or Lori, or Khadija the heavy questions? Why are you throwing it at me? Uh, you, born in Ottawa. Yeah. Raised in Halifax. Yeah. Um, you've now lived here for how long? 13 years. 13 years. You've, yep. you've never lived in Montreal. No, I lived in Montreal. Oh, for how long? Two years. Two years. Yep. How long were we in Frederick? I mean, Halifax for? 20, just under 20 years. And you're a Montreal Canadiens fan. Yeah, because Halifax doesn't have an NHL team. No, but there's, you know, Boston's closer, New York is closer. Yeah, but some teams hang up Stanley Cup banners Philly's, from the rafters, some teams Philly's don't. closer. Philly doesn't have enough Stanley Cup rings on one hand. Um, so you just went for the winner? No, the truth was, was my mom and dad came to Canada. Yeah. Mom came in 71, and that's the glory years of the Canadians. Yeah. She's a huge Gila Fleur fan. Mm-hmm. Larry Robinson. Larry Robinson. Yeah, there you go. You might be half saying yourself there. Well, listen, the, we used to, my dad used to take us to Dairy Queen. Yeah. 
And at Dairy Queen, I don't know if it was a cup or something, but the yeah. ice cream or the drink yeah. came. There was Montreal Canadiens players. Yeah. And I, and I wish we had kept all this stuff. Yeah. But that's that's how I learned about the you know the players on the Habs. So it was my parents who were big Habs fans, and they just liked the run and gun style, and mm-hmm. that's how me and my sister. Um, became Habs fans and for my kids I said look basketball baseball football soccer I don't care (laughs) but hockey there's only one team you're going to support so I took the kids when they were two to the Bell Center in Montreal to indoctrinate them early yeah so uh, which worked out because thank God when Adam was interviewed he could name players by the press but you know we you know um, we'll make it fun I think it's a Canadian thing I like skating on the ice with my friends and you know just last week we're at my buddy Andy's place on the ice with his kids, and kids are skating, and so yeah, that's why we're Montreal fans. And you've met a bunch of them. Sorry, you've met a bunch of Habs. We've been lucky. We've it's through a lot of our clients and people who've known them. One of them, our clients, his father, um, uh, Bobby Russo, played for the Canadians for many years. Okay. And the Russo family are now family friends. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're the number fifteen. Okay, that was his number, and Adam likes them too and they're very you know kind people and you know but I, I whatever team like we have clients in winnipeg i got a jets jersey now <laughs> um you know a client in mars in in the u.s um i remember he called me one night and he said you know the 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 lightning are playing the um uh the leafs friendly wager you know gentleman's wager loser buys the winner dinner and i said well okay um first off i'm a little offended that you think i'm a Leafs fan yeah um but that's okay i'll let it pass this time um, but I'll take your wager um, that, you know, but let's do it when Montreal plays Tampa. Yeah. I said, okay. And I said, but if we're truly men of conviction, winner buys the loser dinner, but loser also has to wear the winning team's jersey. Yeah. If you're up for that. Yeah. So game on. So I'm feeling pretty confident or cocky. And then I remember Montreal went into Tampa and Carey Price for goalie was on a roll. And I thought, this is it. And Montreal got shelled out. Yeah. So that night, all I got from him was a smiley face text. <laughs> so rather than keep my mouth shut, I should have said to him, you know, I said to him, look, you won the bet on buying dinner, but I regret to inform you that I don't have a Tampa Bay Lightning jersey. Yeah. I have no plans of buying one. I have no plans of acquiring one. <laughs> so I guess you're out of luck. Yeah. I should have kept my mouth shut because a week later, Khadija calls me and she said, there's a FedEx package for you. And the client sent me a Tampa Bay Lightning jersey with my name on it. <laughs> so there you go. Nice. Thanks for coming in, man. Thanks for having me.